This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com right here on mypodcasthouse.com, iTunes, Spotify, whatever you're listening to us on, thank you for joining us. Another big show coming up very shortly. Dale Rogers and Richard Crail from theracetalk.com to join us to have a chat about this weekend's Shannon's Nationals coming up down at Phillip Island. Garth Tander to join us. He, of course, will be driving one of the TCR cars this weekend. Look forward to having a chat to Garth and also Mark Brax to cover off on what was one of the most spectacular MotoGP races you've seen in a long, long time at Mugello on the weekend. All that to come right here on The Grid. She's sweet but a psycho, a little bit psycho At night she's screaming, I'm on my mind, I'm on my mind Oh, she's hot but a psycho so All right, let's uh, say, first of all, a very good day to Dale Rogers, who joins us on the line. G'day, Dale. Tony, how are you? Mate, I'm fantastic, thank you. Richard Crow, good day to you. Hello, Shebexter. Are you counting down the day to Darwin yet in this cool winter weather? Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I'm very much looking mm. forward to thawing out up there uh, in the Northern Territory, no doubt about that. A man that looking is looking forward to getting freezing cold, I'm sure, inside a Audi in the TCR series this weekend is Garth Tanner. And boys, I think this is the first time we've ever spoken to a man who's actually had a trophy named after him. Garth, g'day. Hey, guys. How are you? Very well, thank you, mate. Very well. Uh, first of all, that's a lovely little surprise that uh, Aaron Noonan and the, uh, the 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 super sleuth has uh, bestowed on you later on in the year. Yeah, uh, it was very surprising. One um, that um, oh, very honoured. Firstly, that it, it, they've uh, decided to name that trophy after me for the um, for the Project Blueprint era cars in the in the um, well, they're historics now, which is sad because. Now, now I, I used to race what is now a historic car, <laughs> but also that um, that I didn't realise when he rang me and told me that um, I'd won the most races through that period of times as well. So, um, yeah, that's a, a very nice honour and, uh, and quite surprising, but um, yeah, very cool nonetheless. Uh, nothing historic about what you're driving this weekend, GT, jumping into TCR for the first time. I mean, give me your thoughts on that, because your supercar career is well-defined, you've had a lot of success and experience now in GT cars, but this is something completely different for you. Front-wheel drive, four-cylinder turbo. Are you looking forward to it? What's your approach and what's your initial thoughts on this whole TCR thing? Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, yeah, look, it's uh, it's going to be a challenge, no doubt, because, um, as you said, pretty much, well, all my career, all my touring car career has been rear-wheel drive V8. So, um, <laughs> so now jumping into, uh, you know, 300-odd horsepower front-wheel drive, uh, TCR car um, will be a very unique challenge, uh, given that although the series is quite new in Australia, obviously only in the second round, um, those guys that already have done the first round at Sydney Motorsport Park last month have got that one race weekend and a bit of testing head started. So, um, yeah, looking forward to the challenge of, one, getting my head around the car, but then, two, going racing against the guys already in the series. Gareth, it's looked uh, like the, the guys really got a handle on those cars over the weekend from Friday, a huge performance gain on, on to, to Sunday. I believe your car is either in transit or is just about to arrive. So what what practice will you be able to have before you, you go into qualifying? Yeah, look, uh, it's very little uh, prep because, as you said, the cars pretty much land in the country Tuesday night before the race weekend. 
So, um, so we've only got really a day and a bit to turn the car around and get it ready to go racing. But great thing about the way that Audi deliver their cars are that um, it's ready to go pretty much. We've just got to throw our own radio and, and a few bits and pieces in it and, and away we go. So um, all things going well, we're hoping to do a small shakedown. The categories are allowing us to do a shakedown at Phillip Island on Thursday afternoon. So uh, I've already got to be down at Phillip Island on Thursday testing the GT car. So um, we're sort of hoping around 3:30 we can we can sneak out and get a couple of laps in just to shake the car down because it's yeah, yeah. A brand new car and just landed in the country. They do 60 kilometres or so in Germany at the at the Audi factory just to sort of make sure that it's not leaking any oil or anything like that. But you know we just still you know want to make sure we give it a thorough shake down before practice on Friday. So only the two half hour practice sessions on Friday ahead of qualifying, so I'm jumping in pretty deep, that's for sure. Must be loving this relationship you're having with uh, the Melbourne Performance Centre and the Audis. Of course, you've got the Audi RS3 that you're driving uh, for TCR and uh, also doing a bit of work with the R8 in the uh, in the GT Championship as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the relationship with MPC's grown over the years where initially I just started, as far as co-driving with Steve McLaughlin, the car owner for the GT3 program. And uh, and through his relationship with MPC and, and their relationship with Audi, it's continued to grow and grow and grow. Where now I'm sort of part of their factory driver roster at the 12 hour and um, and do pretty much all the endurance series races in the GT car. Um, and you know we've been trying to stitch a deal together with Audi to do some TCR stuff. Um, I can't do the whole series because of my commitments with with television and RPM on Channel 10. So. That's pretty much every weekend that's not a V8 supercar weekend. I'm in Sydney doing RPM. So just worked out that this weekend I've got the weekend off from RPM because I'm doing the GT car and uh, and we could put the, the TCR program together as well, which will make for a busy weekend because I'm pretty much doing a three-hour race on Sunday morning with Jeff Emery in the GT car <laughs> and then I jump out and do two 14-lap sprint races in the TCR car back-to-back. So... Um, it's just as well I've kept my training up in my uh, in my retirement from supercars. I've been training a fair bit. I think I'll need it this weekend. <laughs> you, you say retirement, Garth, and, and I'm sure you would have loved to have rather been in a, a full-time seat this year, but as it turns out, fairly decent enduro drive secured and all the other bits and pieces going on. But are, are you, as, as much as part of you going, gee, I'd love to still be doing this full-time, is the other part of you going, I'm actually enjoying driving some different things, GT, TCR, and also the TV aspect of it. Are you enjoying that different look at motor racing, I suppose, after, what, almost two decades full-time in in supercars? Yeah, Rich, I am. I am. Um, You know, when I was, when my deal, the supercar deal was taken away from me at the start of the year, um, it's like your world world has ended because, you Mm. know, that's sort of all you've been doing for 20-odd years and, and that's what I expected to be doing this year. Um, but in the weeks and months and now months since then, um, the opportunities that have popped up have been really surprising. Um, you know, obviously straight away to do the, the deal with Triple Eight, to share the car with Shane in the supercar endurance races. Um, you look, if you're not, can't, if you can't be doing it full time, then, you know, driving with Triple Eight and with Shane in the endurance races is as good as it's going to get, uh, as a backup. And then obviously the TV stuff's been great. Um, and then also from a racing point of view, because I've been so focused and so heavily dedicated to the supercar thing for so long, you don't tend to look at all these extra things um, because you, you become quite insular. So, um, you know, even when the Neil Crompton rang me about racing the Toyota 86 series at the start of the year, 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that for sure because it's just stuff that you wouldn't normally look twice at mm. because you're, you're so focused and so dedicated to the supercar thing. So I am really enjoying it. Um, and, and the TCR thing is, is an extension of that because, um, you know, it's a, it's a new series. I've got friends that my teammates that race in the um, in the World Touring Car Championship, you know, for my teammates from the Bathurst 12 hour, Frederick Favish and Gordon Sheridan and those guys uh, all race for Audi in the WTCR series. Uh, so I sort of follow it, and obviously now with it starting in Australia, I was a pretty curious observer from afar uh, at Eastern, from Eastern Creek a couple of months, or last month. So now to get the drive and, get, and to have a crack at it uh, to see what it's all about, I'm really looking forward to. Hmm. On the supercar side of things, Garth, uh, you're one of the few drivers that's been able to experience um, two different team cars in recent times, and you, you obviously had an enormous role in the development of the ZB GRM, uh, and and you've now had a couple of stints in the Triple Eight car. So two things: did you notice any real difference in in the way the cars are uh, built and behaved? And secondly, you've been able to pick up what I think a lot of teams are struggling with is is this the change from the twin spring setup on, in the cars to this linear spring because it seems to be a bit of an Achilles heel for the Commodores at the moment. Yeah, look. Um yeah, a lot of people have asked me now since I've driven the Triple Eight car or the Red Bull car a couple of times, what's the difference to what you were driving last year? And there's not a lot. There's not one big thing. It's it's it just does everything nicer. Like it's um, you know you know the steering's probably you know you got two one or two percent better feel in the steering. The engine probably is about one or two percent better. The braking stability is one or two percent better. Um, the feel that you get, the feedback through the steering wheel and through, you know, through your, your ass sensor effectively, <laughs> the feel that you get from the car and, and where you're at with the tyre is, you know, two, three, four percent better. So, you know, you add all those things up and then you start to say, oh, the, you know, the car's 10, 12, 15 percent better. Um, and that's huge in our game in mm. supercars because it's so close and so competitive. So, I mean, we all you often hear teams talking about there's no magic bullets and, and you're not going to go and find a 10% improvement in the car anywhere. It's all about little 1% and 2% improvements through the whole package. Mm. And that's probably what the Triple Eight package is over the GRM package, is that it's just more refined um, and just it gives you much better feedback. So as a driver, it's, it's, you, can, you can really report back quite easily on how, what the car behaviour is. It just makes it easier to zero in on the areas you need to focus on to make the cars go faster. So from that point of view, that's the difference. Um, as far as the whole twin thing go, spring goes, it's hard for me to comment because I never drove the Triple Eight twin spring package. So, um, you know, I'll go back to what we were doing at JRM last year and we were, some weekends we were linear, some weekends we were twin spring, some weekends we were both, you know. So mm. um, it, different teams use the twin spring in different ways. So it's really hard for me to comment the difference between you know the triple eight twin spring and the triple eight linear spring because I never I never experienced what they had in yeah, the past. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's that's that, I can't really report back on that one. Garth, just on the the difference that you you noted there in regards to triple eight over the GM, GRM car, uh, can you put your finger on what is what causes that difference? Is it engineering? Is it extra cash? Is it the ability to get the best out of driver and engineer. Is there is there one thing in that regard that you can put your finger on that makes it a better package? Oh, I think it's probably all of the above there, Shabetz. I think you pretty much nailed it. I mean, um, they're very, very heavily engineering-focused 
at Triple Eight, um, and you know, they've got very good resources. There's no doubt about that. So, um, you know, there's no shying on from the fact that when we were at GRM, we certainly didn't have the budget that Triple Eight or Penske or um, Erebus had to spend on developing the car. So you had to do the best with what you had. Um, Gary never really held back from anything, but we couldn't just go and spend, you know, a million dollars extra for the year because of that mm. money just wasn't there. So, so from a recess, a resource point of view, Triple Eight, uh, you know, Penske and, and TRA and, um, you know, Erebus and all those guys are all probably stronger resource than what GRM was last year. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, I think that's probably the difference is that, you know, a good budget means you can attract good engineers, probably have a, a few more on the staff to, to just refine the package that little bit more nicely. Uh, two, two parts to this, Garth. Firstly, you've, you've had an opportunity, as we touched on earlier, for the first time in a long time to step back and have a look at the championship as a whole and, and see where things are at. So I'm keen to know just where you see the state of the sport as a whole and, and be the competition within that. And then where do you see yourself going from here? Obviously, there's definitely plenty more Bathurst in you and co-driving roles and some other racing, but can you see yourself doing some more TV work, which is a role you've always excelled at, whether it's RPM this year or guest stints in commentary boxes when you're not in a car? Um, where do you see yourself going down the road? Yeah, probably along those lines, Rich. Um, I'm really enjoying the TV stuff, um, and that's um, not the, so much the on-air stuff, um, mm. yeah, I'm enjoying that, but I'm really enjoying the behind-the-scenes stuff, how TV works and, um, and trying to improve um, how I, you know, how I present, for lack of a better term, on television. So um, I'm really enjoying that because it's, um, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone and, and um, as far as trying to be better at the TV side of things, I'm really enjoying it. I sort of treat it like you would as a driver where you, you look at, your performance and then you look at different aspects of your performance and you, you drill down into it and, and you analyse it and try to improve on it. So I'm, I'm treating the TV role like that. Um, and then, yeah, the, the the co-driver role, I don't know how that's going to go because I haven't done it yet. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, um, the first one this year being Bathurst is, a, is different than anything that's ever happened before. So everyone's going to be just kind of a little bit blind. Um, and I think myself and Lounsey have probably got a small advantage over the rest is that we're probably the, oh, and, and Ruth, we're the freshest out of a full-time seat. So um, when we get to Bathurst, we're, um, we're probably closer to what it was as a full-time driver. So that's going to help. You don't have that sand-down weekend to sort of ease into it as a co-driver and just sort of get in the groove and then head to Bathurst. I mean, this year you've got to, you've got to hit the ground running. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. How long I'll continue to do that for, I'm not too sure. My current deal's uh, a couple of years with an option for another year after that. So we'll just have to wait and see whether Roland wants me back again. Just uh, well, off the back of that, if I could, Garth, too, do you have a, a new appreciation for the media? Not saying that you were a prickly person with the media in the past as a driver, but... <laughs> Uh, does it? Do you have a whole new appreciation of what that's all about? Um, no, not really. Um, what I do tend to look at the sport now is more from a media perspective rather than from a driver's perspective or from a team perspective. So you, I'm looking this year. I find myself looking at the sport and um, from in, in, through different eyes, if you like. Whereas when you're so 
in the middle of being a driver and you're in the middle of a team and you and you're so invested in that side of the sport, you you you're quite um, I'm not sure how to describe it, but you're quite selfish the way that you look at the sport, I guess. Mm. Whereas now I'm looking at the sport more so from a from a I guess from a media perspective and from a um, you know an entertainment perspective and, and, um, and I guess um, I guess I don't know if that makes me appreciate the media role more or less, but um, I guess it's just I look at the sport from through different eyes now. Yeah. Um, so I mean I was I'm, when I was racing and, and, and I was I was um, I've, I was not often, but I, I, I was aware that the media did sort of say that I was, well, as a matter of fact, I was always very matter of fact because I never went racing for accolades or never went racing for, for column inches or, or headlines. For me, it was all about winning races and the competition. So the media was um, not a distraction, but it wasn't the primary interest for me. So, um, you know, there's a lot of drivers out there that are they gauge their they gauge how well they're going for a moment of lifestyle and things like that. So I'm mm. I'm a bit more old school than that. So um I guess that's probably why um some of the media probably thought I was a little bit um I'm not cranky, I don't know, I don't know, maybe some did. I think I was cranky, but just short, I think it's probably the best way to describe it. <laughs> well if we can set Russell Ingle as the benchmark, you were way below that. <laughs> We'll pay, we'll pay that. Uh, Garth, congratulations on getting this uh, drive on, on the weekend. Uh, just a, another tick to the to the boxes that uh, you've ticked so many of in the past. Hope you do a really good job, mate, and uh, look forward to seeing you at a racetrack shortly and uh, also look forward to catching you during the Enduros. Yeah, cheers, guys. Looking forward to it. I'll see you Good on you. Garth Tander joining us here on The Grid. Well, there you have a Garth Tander joining us, boys. Uh, fantastic to have Garth driving again, uh, not just having a chat to us, but just to be a part of the scene. The supercars, there's no doubt, has missed him. Yeah, well, look, I, I'm, I've always been a, a fan of Garth's driving. He's always the racer's racer. He's the kind of guy that if you had to have picked somebody in the field to race for your life, you'd probably pick Garth Tander. And especially in the last couple of years of his full-time career, he made a habit out of blazing from the back of the field in not particularly good race cars and ending up somewhere in the top 10, if not on the podium. And I'm sure he would have been able to do the same this year in a, a GRM team that's that's very much struggling, as, as we've covered often on the podcast. But, yeah, look, really good. He, he's a terrific media performer, and, and I it was hard to not laugh out loud when he was talking about how people perhaps uh, experienced him during his career and, and used the word prickly and I thought that was appropriate but when he's got a microphone on he's tremendous and he's, he's been in the commentary box at times, guesting, doing support races and he's outstanding and he's the next Crompton or Scaife in my opinion in terms of supercars broadcasting if and when he wants to go down that route full time and I'm sure the RPM stuff is a is a pathway to that so yeah, really, really cool to hear from the guy and just get get his thoughts on where where the world's at and and his universe is is pretty busy, which is good to see. And I'm keen to see how he goes in that front wheel drive Audi and doing double duties, as he said, with the V10 GT car. It's going to be a busy weekend for the boy. He's going to be a busy weekend. It's going to be a busy weekend for everyone down at Shannon's. Uh, a big round coming up uh, down there at Phillip Island, Dull. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interest now. I mean, the TCR quick grows again by one this weekend, which is which is great. So 18 cars uh, on a really, really fast circuit. So 
Um, I think some of the boys will it'll, it'll get their attention in those little cars down there. But look, I think again, it should be a good show. It's it's a, it's a healthy grid. Um, you know, GT in there. You look, oh, you know, if he if he gets there. But, but look, they all went to to Sydney Motorsport Park in the unknown, and Jason Bright pops up and wins the very first race in the golf. So. Yeah, you know, it, it's not impossible. And the Milton Performance Centre Audi did pretty well. It had a bit of bad luck, but uh, yeah, look, he's a, he's a great racer. He's done a million miles down there, and some of the guys that are in those TCR cars just probably won't be quite as fearless as uh, as Garth is. So I hope he does very well. But yeah, another another great round. I think um, you know it'll be interesting to just to see the, whether, as it did in Sydney, whether we uh, whether we can we can get a crowd down the island. I think the, the worst of our weather this week might be behind us. Um, but if 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 the, if the crowd increase replicates at, at Phillip Island as it did at City Motorsport Park for a Shannon Drown, which we, we mustn't lose sight of, that's what it is. Um, mm. Would be a good thing, be a good thing weekend. So, uh, yeah. and I think Crowley, you've, you've got a you've got a Porsche commitment down there again this weekend. Yeah, yeah, third round of Michelin Cup Challenge, which has just been an extraordinary championship this year with three different race winners at the last round and four drivers covered by fifty odd points in the championship. So wide open with a bunch of really talented juniors. So that's going to be a a big part of the weekend. And the other interesting thing for mine is, is GT racing and they, they switched to endurance mode after I think we can all agree it's been a less than convincing start mm. to their championship this season. The, the Grand Prix was a big field, but it was not deep and it was it was pretty average. Uh, and then Barbagello for all the storylines and, and reasonably good racing was corrupted by the ridiculous pit stop penalty parity stuff that they run in that championship and a not very big grid. Uh, and so the endurance stuff is where GT racing has its roots, as we all know, and, and that will be a very big test to see where Australian GT has, is at now, three rounds into their new ownership with Trofeo having taken over, new category manager and David Avart calling the shots. So it's going to be a really interesting weekend. The longer races also take some of that pit stop time penalty stuff that they continue to persist without and make the races a little bit more like we see at the Bathurst 12-hour or in Blancpain SRO run series internationally. So, uh, good weekend. GT races at Phillip Island are always good because that place was designed for GT cars and Porsche Cup cars. So it's, just, it's the perfect circuit for those racing cars. So, as a result, they're pretty good fun to watch there. Very appropriate that the uh, trailer for the brand-new movie, Ford versus Ferrari, comes out has come out this week uh, promoting what should be a fantastic film coming down later on in the year and, of course, focusing on the Le Mans 24-hour. And, uh, Dale, have you got any news about what might be happening at that race this year? Yeah, it's uh, a practice uh, completed this week and the first time all uh, 60-odd cars, 62 cars, in fact, face the uh, Little South Circuit. Um, yeah, look, a lot of interesting things coming out of it. I know it's early practice and there's, there's, there's a bit of form to be looked at, but... Um, not unsurprisingly, the two Toyota Gazoo racing cars were the Toyota hybrids were, were one and two. But the battle in the in the LMP one in the privateer section of it was fantastic. The rebellions, the two rebellions, the BNR engineering with the, the SMP racing cars, the Dragon Speed were all in the mix within about uh, a couple of seconds of each other, which was, was really good. And there's some there's some big names in there as well. Uh, Brennan Hartley's been um, introduced to the the Toyota team. He uh, he ran both cars, the seven car of Alonso's and the number eight, uh, the eight and the seven car, I should say. So he's he's a good addition and obviously a, a great uh, driver in his Porsche days at Le Mans. So a good addition to the team. Um, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn uh, pops up in uh, in an SMP uh, LMP1 car. So there's a, there's a lot of depth in this this year. 
But when you look at the LNP2 category, I think that's really working where the race is going to be. Very, very close. Uh, Jackie Chan Racing was led them down there. But really, about 20-odd cars with, with less than about eight seconds between them. And then, if you really want to look at some, some great racing, it's once again going to be in the, uh, the LNGTE Pro. Um, nine cars within one second of each other. Uh, the Corvette. The beautiful yellow Corvette mm. was quickest. The Ford GT next. So look, really shaping up to be an absolute gem of a race. Um, the, the field is is the depth in the field is fantastic. The cars that probably didn't perform uh, were the two BMW M8s with, with the back of the profile. Um, Matty Campbell was in there in the Dempsey Racing. He's, he's racing in the GTM class, and also uh, from Ryan Briscoe, also in the Ford GT and the Pro class. So a couple of these to cheer on, but. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's shaping up to be an absolute cracker. And, uh, you know, look, if it, it'd be great, I reckon, if, if it's great to see the Toyotas stay with this LNP1 formula to the end. But uh, I would love to see one of those privateer LNP1s get up and win this thing. I think it'd just be great for the sport to see that they've persevered with it. They're, they're fabulous motor cars. They're only a second a bit behind the Toyotas. And uh, it'd be great to see. But nonetheless... By the way, it'll be a great race, and uh, it always is this time of the year. We have, you know, Indy in May and Le Mans in June. It's not a bad month. Hey, uh, can we just talk about Ford v Ferrari, the film? Oh, yeah. Doesn't that look like an absolute belter? It looks like uh, a cracker. Like, the, How's the, the preview? Best, oh, wow. what, a, what a trailer. Uh, the, the best Batman ever, obviously, in Christian Bale. Tremendous. Yeah, he was great. Uh, yep. And, yep. and he's, he's going to be a very, very good racing car driver. Uh, and Matt Damon as Carol Shelby, I, I thought that was just, a perfect bit of casting, and he seems to nail the accent and the attitude from snippets that you've seen of Carol over the years. So that's that's very cool. But they're clearly taking it very very seriously because if you go through the IMDb list, and a good friend of ours, Will Dale, who's yeah. from the V8 Sleuth, uh, pointed this out on Twitter to me the other day. That if you go through the full cast list on IMDb, the movie website, there's some pretty interesting names. For starters, Tanner Faust. Stunt driver, Top Gear USA host, uh, rallycross champion is one of the drivers in the race. So he's he's Mm -hmm. a a clearly talented driver. There's a couple of other guns in there as well. But Alex Gurney is playing Dan Gurney, who was obviously a a staple in endurance racing at the time. So there's some very, very cool back-of-house names that that will play a cameo role in that movie, which is great. So the cast looks terrific. They've, They've found a... A crazy Italian guy, Italian gentleman, to play Enzo Ferrari, and when you whack the dark glasses <laughs> on him, he is Enzo Ferrari. Wow! They have nailed the casting. And I'm really yeah. looking forward to it. I hope they don't balls it up. I hope it's a really good motor racing film because we need more of them. There haven't been enough, and uh, yeah, I, I think it looks tremendous. Well, yeah. as long as they don't get Sylvester Stallone involved at any point along oh. the way, it'll be a good. It'll be a good movie. <laughs> oh, I love Driven. No, what a great film. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So you're the one that loves it. No, I knew there was someone in the world. No, dude. There, there are about 35 seconds in that movie, which is great. And it's the scene where all the drivers are getting ready for the final race. And it's yes. the good music, really nicely yeah. shot. The rest of it is complete and utter rubbish. You can go to Thunder any day of the week. Yeah, fair call, too. We should have it on the grid premiere for Ford versus Ferrari so we can organise. We should get a bloody invite, Shebex, to give you the hot tip. Uh, yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, hey, guys, always good to have you on board. We'll uh, do it again next Monday or Tuesday when we uh, wrap up what should be a uh, an exciting weekend of Shannon's Nationals and uh, do a bit of a preview for what's going to be a fantastic Darwin coming up. Like it. Like it. Looking forward to 
Phillip yeah, Island, if, you, if you're heading down, it's a really cost-effective weekend worth checking out, even if the weather is uh, a little brisk. Uh, and then we're all looking forward to Hidden Valley in two weeks' time. That amazing northern swing that the supercars uh, hopefully never, ever give up. Yeah, exactly right. All right, guys, catch you soon. Right, Tony, Richard, see you, mate. Dale Rogers and Richard Crail from theracetalk.com joining us here on The Grid. Look, if you had one shot or one opportunity seize everything you ever wanted one moment did you capture all right, joining us on the line to talk everything two wheels is Mark Brax. G'day, Braxy. G'day, Shebex. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm fantastic, and I'm even more excited by the fact that I got to watch what was probably one of the great MotoGP races of all time on the weekend from Mugello. It just had absolutely everything to it. Yeah, mate, it was um, something special, one for the ages, and uh, it will rank up there in the top, well, probably the top five MotoGPs of all time. You know, it's up there with the first Grand Prix at Phillip Island when we saw Gardner win in front of his home crowd, and uh, on the weekend we saw Danilo Petrucci, um, the second-tier rider in the uh, factory Ducati team, come through for his first GP win when he was about ready to walk away from the sport, so... um, for anyone that's a fan of MotoGP, it was sure one for the ages, and uh, I couldn't have, um, you know, bestowed upon a better bloke. He's uh, very humble, very contrite, um, and just one of the real nice guys of the paddock. And uh, but besides that, it was a Moto Three race with about 200 extra horsepower, so just uh, completely mental from the start. It looked like Mark Marquez he jumped away from pole position, and after his. Uh, Remarkable effort in qualifying to put in the fastest lap around there on a motorcycle. Um, and he managed to get an early gap, but the rest of them uh, tracked him down. And um, then from about lap three, we had uh, another, uh, what was it, 17 laps of pure mayhem. And mm. tell you the truth, mate, for the few, first last few laps, I couldn't sit down. I was just no. uh, mind-boggling. Uh, it was, Braxy. And what was surprising to me, You've seen a lot more MotoGP racing than I have, but I've never seen slipstreaming on MotoGP like that ever. No, it was similar to what you'd see in a Moto3. Yeah. Once they get in the, into the air behind, into the hole in the air behind them, and uh, the speeds they were doing up around 350 kilometres an hour and close proximity, elbowing each other out of the way, and then that dive over the hill, which as TV is uh, want to do, doesn't give it justice to how steep that dive into turn one San Donato is and uh, they were just yeah all over each other sucking each other along and mate just uh, amazing to watch and just that track always has something about it a beautiful setting there in the Tuscan Hills uh, a track made for motorbikes but back in the uh, early 70s it first came into existence and uh, continues its uh, run of providing some of the best racing that we'll ever see and for the third year in a row, we saw the Ducati win, but it was um, with a third different rider, De Vizioso in 17, Jorge Lorenzo in 2018, and um, now Danilo Petrucci, who's probably secured his um, uh, the factory ride for next year with um, as him and Jack Miller on the satellite Pramac team. They were, they were battling it out for... Uh, that elusive ride next to um, Debussy Osho and uh, 
I think uh, Danilo's done enough to uh, get his uh, name on the contract. It was meant to be decided with Barcelona, but I think he's done enough already, wouldn't you reckon? Yeah, I would have thought so too. I think that was just a fantastic ride. He showed a lot of patience, but also showed that he could go when he had to, and especially uh, doing it on that very last bend. I mean, he was third for basically the race to finish. Marquez taking the lead, and then uh, Petrucci just getting that up, up uh, inside run. Uh, it, it took a bit of balls to to have a go at that. Yeah, well, he saw the gap, as he said, and he said, um, oh, it was my turn to win. I didn't want anyone else to win. He apologised to his teammate and actually dedicated the, the win to his teammate, who was in that uh, three wide going into turn one, and Danilo saw that gap on the inside, went for it, and held them off, basically, for the rest of the lap. And as he said, when he came out of that last corner, he was waiting for them to attack and he said, is this going to be the story of my life again where I get beaten in the last couple of metres? But he hung on to it and, um, you know, you'd see his emotion as he crossed the line. He had it. His head was bobbing up and down as if, yes, yes, yes. And (laughs) the emotion on the the slowdown lap when he was crying, the um, onboard footage of him, uh, rather touching to see him doing that. And, uh, you know, it was... Uh, it's just so good for the championship, so good for my OGP, and obviously so good for uh, Danilo. And he dedicated that win to um, his teammate Andrea because uh, they spent a lot of time together in the winter months in training and everything. Uh, Petrucci actually moved in with Davisioso so they could be in close proximity. Um, Davisioso, you know, handed over a lot of tips to him about how to be it. He was worried that he was losing his ride, and Dobby said, look, just look at the present. Don't worry about the future. The future will look after itself. And that was just shows the measure of the man that in all that emotion, he said time and time again, I dedicate this one to the Vicioso. So, uh, and as he said in the press conference, he said, now I've won it. I've, put, I've um, attained my goal that I'd wanted to do at the beginning of the year. Now it's my job to help uh, Andrea win the championship and win the Manufacturers' Championship for Ducati. So, um, yeah, I think we've got 13 races left in the championship. It's going to be a bit of an anti-climax because I don't know if we can uh, actually uh, have another race, but who knows? And we say that every year is the best ever and they just seem to lift again and again. So yeah, they do. Another two weeks in Barcelona, we'll see if the Ducati can do it again. Uh, Braxy, would it be fair to say that this was probably the worst race for a very, very long time for Valentino Rossi? Mugello's normally a place where he starts a big points push from here uh, over the next few races. Uh, you know, he's always up there and about. If he's not winning it, he's on the podium. Uh, but this one was just an absolute shocker for him. I think not just one of the worst races. I think the worst race. Really? Um, he was a shocker during the entire uh, four practice sessions and the qualifying sessions, and the best he could do was 18th position on the grid. Um, he had to do something very special from the very outset, uh, a la what Debussy did from eighth on the grid. And the guy that finished fourth just off the podium, Alex Rins on the Suzuki, he started from 13th and managed to get through to that leading bunch in the first lap. Um, he made it hard for himself. He tagged uh, um, Rins' teammate. Yohan near at the start of, the, I think, the fifth lap going through turn two, and they both ran off the track, track through the gravel track. And uh, as such, Rossi was pushing harder. He re, uh, rejoined the race in last position, and uh, he went through um, uh, the one of the two main right-handers, um, powerful right-handers, 
uh, and just lost the front in a very, it looked very inconsequential. But I think the fact we might have still had a bit of um, residue of the dust on the on the sidewall of the tyre, and he would have been riding his butt off trying to catch up to everybody in front of his home, his adoring home crowd, uh, and just too much. And uh, you know, it's, uh, it's the end is nigh. I suppose he's getting closer to the end of his uh, um, Grand Prix career. He's got another contract, another year in his contract for 2020. Um, that's open to him whether he wants to continue, but it must have been a real kick in the butt for him, a kick in the guts and everything to, uh, to have his worst result mm-hmm. on there um, over the weekend. And, you know, the, the way it was finished, he didn't finish there a couple of years ago because of an engine blow-up. But all this was um, through his own... Um, not getting uh, getting to tune with the bike. They've got a lot of problems with mid-corner speed and getting out of the corners, and it was brought to the fore where the Yamahas weren't really there and for much of the weekend. And, um, you know, all careers come to an end, but let's hope that uh, he manages to regroup. We know he's, the, you know, the multiple champion that he is, that he'll be able to regroup and come out and uh, put that behind him. But, yeah, it was, I'd say, the worst result for him in his MotoGP career, and to happen in the home race. Um, it would have been very, very devastating for him. I know the fans there, I was watching it on the uh, live stream on the MotoGP website, and they stayed around for ages shouting his name in uh, the crowd of pit straight that he didn't even pop his head out like he normally do, does. So that just shows you how devastated he was about the whole result. But um, he'll come back, I'm sure it will. It's not the, he'll be back on the podium before the end of the year. And I do hope that uh, saying that Jack Miller does too, because he was right in with that leading. He bunch. was. All bar eight laps when he uh, crashed out while he was in uh, fifth position, giving chase to the rest of them. Um, he didn't help his cause for getting that um, elusive factory ride that he so much covets. But he's come out and said, look, if I stay in this team next year, I'm not really worried. My time will come. So let's hope it does because uh, his uh, crash rate hasn't improved over the years. This is fifth year in the MotoGP category. And unfortunately, guys that have come through the Moto2 ranks, which he didn't do, tend to be outshining him. As um, we saw with uh, Quattararo, he was on the front row of the grid again, the youngest guy ever to get a pole position. His teammate actually topped the timesheets, um, Bagnaia. And there, he's another rookie that's come through the uh, Moto2 ranks. I'll beat him, won the World Championship last year. But I still, I've said for years, I think Jack should have done the Moto2 just to learn about the corner speed that's needed and how to muscle an underpowered bike around. He's went from that Moto 3 machine with about, what, 50 horsepower to something that's got around what they claim around 270 horsepower. And he's there, don't get me wrong. I know Jack, we get on well together, but, you know, I want him to be a world champion. I don't want to be him to be remembered as a, a good satellite rider that um, had his day every now and then. I want him to be up there podium after podium and win after win, as any Aussie does. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you mentioned uh, Bagnaya, a third MotoGP race, I think, that he's crashed out of. The kid's got a lot of talent, there's no doubt about that, but he's got to start finishing some races, surely. Oh, yeah, well, that's um, the rule number one, and to try and beat your teammate as well, I suppose. But it's a steep learning curve to jump on these machines. He's come off a machine, same as Quattararo has, um, 120, 130 horsepower they were putting out, those little Moto2 bikes, the 600cc machines. Uh, to jump onto a 1,000cc fire breather. Um, as they say, I think it was Mick Doohan came out with that quote that uh, it's easier to stop a fast guy from crashing than get a slow guy to go fast. And <laughs> he's one that's doing it. Um, 
he'll get uh, and in front of his home crowd again. He would have been bitterly disappointed. But, you know, it's only his sixth race on a MotoGP machine. So um, it's, we're all critical. It's a fickle world, that GP paddock. I know firsthand how fickle it can be and how callous it can be. But, he's, you know, he, he'll come back. He'll bounce back from it. He'll learn from it. It's all about tyre wear and um, basically um, adapting the bike because they start the race with a full fuel, full load of fuel. And to the uninitiated, you think, oh, what does that mean? But when the, the fuel sits basically up the top of the bike, at all the inertia and the G-forces and handling of it, it changes throughout the race as the fuel load lightens. Mm-hmm. And it gets easy to ride, but then conversely, you've got your tyre wear. Um, you know, you're pushing hard to keep with these guys, so obviously you're using up your tyres. And um, then because there's not as much weight on the front wheel when things happen, um, they go into a corner a bit quicker than usual um, and it all comes unstuck for him. But he's a, you know, he's a world champion in the lower classes, so I don't expect him to be uh, crashing out of every race. I'm sure he got a finger waved at him in the pits afterwards. And he'll take it home and, um, again, regroup for Barcelona in a couple of weeks' time. I look forward to that. I'm sure it's going to be a fantastic race as well. Braxy, uh, English rider Daly Matheson has become another name onto the long list of uh, riders that have died during the Isle of Man TT, crashing during the first race this year. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, on the second lap, or on the third lap, actually, they red flagged the race when he... uh, had a crash uh, five kilometres from the start-finish line. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, he paid the ultimate price. A 27-year-old from the north of England uh, has left a wife and a young child behind. Uh, people will be saying why they do it. but um, It's hard to quantify, but they're in a different... They've got a different mindset, these guys, that go out there and uh, battle their way around that 70-kilometres uh, uh, ribbon around the Isle of Man. Um, yep, he's another statistic. They all know the risks. Uh, it was a subdued press conference afterwards, the race that uh, Peter Hickman again won to win his third CT. Um, he did what he was doing, and he said before he went out, I was talking to a couple of people that were there on the scene over there this year, that uh, he was keen for it. They all love it. You know, they've been there before. He's been on the podium at a TT before. And as my mate, and your mate, you know him as well, David Johnson, the Aussie, yeah. he finished on ninth in the TT yesterday. Um, he went there seven years ago. As he said to me, he said, Braxy, I just want to go over there and get it out of my system. He came back and he said, mate, I'm hooked. Mm. Um, and he's been back every year since. So I think until you do it, um, you don't really know that what, what they're thinking to go through um, all that pain and hurt like he, Dave I was telling me during the week when I was talking to him um, last week during the practice week that he went past an accident and you, you think well if you crash there that's going to be really bad it was his teammate that crashed uh, Ian Hutchinson at least he was able to get up and ride again but he said you've got to really you just can't think about it you've got to block it out and then because if you don't block it out Everything's happening so quick over there with the roads. You know, you've got yeah. the curbs, the light posts and everything. But unfortunately, another one um, has uh, paid the ultimate price. But, you know, people, have, there's already been cries, oh, it's got to be banned, it's got to be banned. But uh, they don't stop people climbing Mount Everest, do they? And how many people have we lost there this year? It's uh, a fair comparison to Braxy. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. Everybody's got a passion. Um, you know, we've had... 
fatalities in cricket, guys going out there and um, doing what they love on a cricket field. You know, it's sport. You've got, if everything was safe, uh, we'd be sitting around with um, in cotton wool, wouldn't we? It's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's a thing, you know, racing's racing, car racing's car racing. Uh, um, who would have ever thought Ayrton Senna would have paid the ultimate price, the best, ride, best driver ever? And um, that's um, just gone 20 years since he was taken away from us. So, um, yeah, I get upset talking about it because I know a lot of these guys. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's um, it's if it was if it was safe, I'd, would we have the interest? Would guys go and do it? Um, I know what the feeling of what it's like on a uh, starting a race. And I'm just a club racer, and you know, over the years and the adrenaline, the feeling, the the. Uh, the feeling that goes through your body, there's nothing like it. You can take every drug in the world on top of each other and you still wouldn't get the same buzz. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things, mate. Very, very sad. But and so the old cliche, I suppose it's an overused cliche, at least he was doing something he loved. Yeah, he certainly was, Braxy, and uh, something we love is having you on to have a chat about the world of motorbikes, mate. Thank you so much again for your time this weekend. We'll do it again shortly. No worries, mate. All the best. Love doing it with you, mate. Good on you, mate. Mark Brax joining us here on The Grid. Oh, there you have it. Another episode of All The Grid wrapped up and locked in the can. Enjoy your motor racing weekend, wherever you might be. If it's down at Phillip Island, have a fantastic time down there. Might even see you down there. And we look forward to talking to you again next week as we preview what should be a big, big Darwin supercar weekend. Till then.